Well, good morning, New Hope. It's a privilege to be with you all this morning. As Rick said, my name is Danny O'Brien, and I have the privilege of being uh, one of the pastors at Grace Fellowship Church. Uh, and Grace was actually the uh, uh, the church that uh, that planted New Hope Church ten years ago. I've, I've actually known Jason though since he was in high school. Uh, we go back a long way. Jason, uh, uh, I was in middle school at the time. Um, <laughs> He was a mentor to me, and I really appreciate that. You've been a real role model and continue to be. It's a, it's a real honor. But it really is a privilege to see uh, what God's done here in this 10 years uh, here at New Hope. And, um, you know, what I'd love to do is we're sort of continuing to mark uh, this uh, anniversary celebration. If you could just kind of in a word or a phrase, what would a word be if somebody said, what's New Hope like? or one dimension that you're particularly grateful for, what would be a word or just a short phrase? Community. Community. Great. What else? Community. Community. Okay. Yeah. Community. Community. Awesome. I think we got that. Genuine. Awesome. Beautiful. Love that. Fantastic. Love that too. Beautiful. Loving. Loving. Yeah, Bible teaching. Great. Yeah, there's nobody left after the kids. I mean, y'all are great and all, but where do, it's like the real job is the children's pastor. That's the, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, well dressed. Absolutely. No, I thought that too. Very well. Yeah. Yeah, coffee drinking would be another, I noticed, on the way in. Yeah, produce fruit in like kind. Yeah. Oh, yeah, there you go. Yeah, absolutely. In uniform. Way to go. You know, it's interesting. Uh, the th- I had three that sort of came to mind for me as I was reflecting on the, on the and I think that they're so in um, loving community was one, which you said. Uh, mature teaching, uh, which Jason brings in a beautiful way. And also, I'd say winsome ambassadors. Uh, your church has been winsome ambassadors uh, for the cause of Christ in this community, and it's a, uh, it's a beautiful thing. So let me just uh, pray and thank God for uh, all that God is doing and continuing to do as we maybe uh, turn and look forward a little bit for what God might want to do uh, in the future. Lord, I thank you for the great spirit that is in this room. Lord, it's your spirit that unites and binds us together, that connects us with your heart. Thank you for the great love that has been expressed in so many ways uh, through this fellowship. Lord, I thank you for Jason and his leadership and the elders and all of those whom have really poured out their hearts and their souls to make this church all that uh, you've created it to be. And Lord, I pray for your continued blessing on this church. Lord, that this church will flourish and thrive and be the expression of your grace and your new hope in this community until you come again. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, when you're a church and you're sort of thinking about what you ought to do, uh, it's kind of an important question is this. Uh, what's, what's God's will for the world? It's kind of a light question. Uh, but what, I, what I'd like to actually do, uh, some of you uh, probably like this. You, you said you like community, so I'm going to call you on it. I'd like you to just take a minute 
and like just kind of turn where you are in groups of three or four and sum up in a in a, just a short phrase, no more than a sentence, what's God's will for the world, okay? Should be easy. We're a church. We should know what his will is. So what's God's will for the world? Just kind of turn where you are. This is the interactive part of the presentation. So ready? Go. Yeah, so you can't say. Yeah, that'd be great. Okay, just another 20 seconds. Okay, you've gotten quiet. You must have it nailed. All right, what's God's will for the world? Any group have it nailed down? Yeah. Beautiful. World of compassion and justice, driven and guided by love. Love that. Good. What else? To redeem all things to His glory. Beautiful. Yeah. His kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Beautiful. Love that. Yeah. To conform to the image of Christ. Fantastic. Nobody said like the Ravens should win the Super Bowl every year. That would be His will on earth now. You said that. Yeah, you got your hat on. Good. Well, here's the... Uh, all those are uh, all of those are are, are uh, an, an expression of it, a way to express it. Here's a great thing: God didn't leave us in the dark as to what His will is. He actually tells us in the Scripture. Paul writes this in Ephesians one verses eight through ten. With all wisdom and understanding, He God made known to us the mystery of His will, according to His good pleasure, which He purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment. Here it is. To bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. To bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. Think for a second. uh, What is not included in all things in heaven and on earth under Christ? Like all things in heaven and on earth. That's, That's a pretty inclusive statement, isn't it? All things in heaven and on earth. So maybe I'll flip the question around. What are some things that might be included when you think of all things in heaven and on earth? What are some of those things? All people. Great. What else? Animals. Sure. What else? Well, all 
Great. All of our actions and all the things we do. Good. What else? Yeah. Uh, Praise to the Lord on His throne. Yeah. Governments. Absolutely. Yeah. The natural world. His creation. Yes. about uh, families. I mean, uh, just on the off chance, there might not be complete unity in every family. I mean, I'm sure that's not true here, but uh, neighborhoods, businesses, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. You know, um, this this idea of unity, um, that this word, in fact, some translations say this, that all things would be summed up in Christ. It's actually kind of a math word, and, and this word unity means wholeness, it means oneness, and th- this might be an illustration of it. Uh, um, what do I have here in my, in my hands? A deck of cards. Thank you very much. I have one deck of cards made up of many cards. I've got one deck of cards. So all of these cards are brought to unity in this uh, one uh, deck of cards. And uh, now what do I have? I have a mess. That's exactly right. I have a mess. And the reality is, that's what the world often looks like. It looks like a mess. We look at it, and, and it doesn't look like there's unity. In fact, it looks like there's, there's great disunity. It looks as if it's a mess. The reality is that God wants to take this mess, and that what he's in the process of doing of, is bringing it together to complete unity under Christ. Now, there's some areas where we know that there's uh, division that God wants to bring unity, and we'd all sort of recognize that, where people don't know Christ, that they'd want to be made one with Him. Uh, In the area of race, I think we'd all say, gosh, there's been a lot of um, disunity in in the area of race. A couple in our house church uh, just shared this week that their son in school was called the N-word, and it broke their parents' hearts. You know, here today in this day, we know that that's an area where God wants to bring unity. I think another area that, that might not be as, uh, as obvious is um, sometimes we use words to divide up uh, the world in ways that God wouldn't. And these might be two of those worlds, uh, sacred and secular. So some people might say, well, I've got, a, I've got a secular job. And what that might infer is that those things that are secular are outside of the domain of God, that God doesn't care about those things. But the reality is that he wants to bring oneness and wholeness to every dimension of life on earth and in the heavens, to all things. There's nothing outside of his domain. There is nothing that he doesn't care about. He cares about it all. And he wants to bring oneness and wholeness. Another great word that describes this idea of of this deck of cards, oneness and wholeness, another word is fullness. Paul again writes this in Ephesians chapter 1, 22 and 23. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. That was a full deck. Most people don't believe that I play with a full deck, but it actually was. That God wants there to be uh, oneness and wholeness and fullness to every dimension of life. 
Listen to what the prophet Habakkuk wrote. You you were probably just reading Habakkuk the other day, but if on the off chance you missed this, uh, here's what he wrote. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Okay, let me ask you this. How much of the sea is covered by water? A lot of the sea is covered by water. I mean, Habakkuk's kind of a comedian here. He's saying like, like just like the ocean's full of water, the whole earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. Here's the interesting thing. We could get tripped up on the word knowledge because often we think more like Greeks. And Greeks separate knowledge to kind of head knowledge or heart knowledge or theoretical knowledge or experiential knowledge. But this was written in Hebrew. And so to a Hebrew, knowledge isn't theoretical. You know, one of the first times that the word, this word know or knowledge is used in Genesis, I think it's 4.1, Adam knew Eve and they conceived a son. Nothing theoretical about that. That isn't just head knowledge. That is firsthand experiential becoming one physically, emotionally, spiritually. They became one. And this says that the whole earth will be filled with the firsthand experience of the glory of God. The whole earth, every dimension. So what's God's will? His will is to bring oneness, to bring wholeness, to bring fullness. A Hebrew word for this could be the word shalom, often translated peace. Uh, but it's interesting, the University of Tel Aviv tra- uh, um, defines the word shalom as this, nothing missing, nothing broken. Wholeness, oneness, life as God intended for it to be lived, every inch of creation being filled with God's love. I think the reality is, though, that... Uh, when Christians start talking about the will of God, we often fall into two different categories. There are uh, vertical Christians and there are horizontal Christians. Okay, so a vertical Christian believes this, that really the most important thing that the church ought to be doing, the, the most important thing that God cares about is every single person's relationship with God. And so what the church ought to be about, what believers ought to be about, we ought to be about evangelism because there are some who don't yet know God. And we ought to be about Bible study and prayer and personal piety and and the spiritual disciplines and strengthening all of our relationships with God vertically. There are also horizontal uh, Christians who would, they'd say, no, no, the most important thing is that we would love one another. They would quote verses that say, how can you love God who you don't see if you don't love your brother who you do see? They'd say that in Matthew 25, when Jesus came back and he separated who would enter eternal life and, and who wouldn't, he, it wasn't on the basis of a doctrinal station statement. He said, you, you saw me hungry and you gave me something to eat. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. When I was in prison, you came and visited me. And so we can often get into this, are we a vertical Christian or are we a horizontal Christian? But the reality is that God's will is neither vertical nor horizontal. For it to be God's will, it's both. Psalm 89.14 says this, that righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Love and faithfulness go before you. Throughout the Old Testament, these twin pillars of righteousness and justice uh, again and again and again uh, declare the will of God. And righteousness and justice are both vertical and horizontal. 
Righteousness is about a right relationship with God and others. Now, to a to a, to the Jews who would have been reading this, the Hebrews who would have been reading the Psalms, they would have known that righteousness was living in accordance with the law, with Torah, and the law had much to do with right relationship with God, honoring the Sabbath, the appropriate ways for sacrifices, but also much to do about loving one another, appropriate weights in business, uh, treating each other fairly, borrowing and lending, honoring your father and your mother. In the same way, justice, both horizontal and vertical. Justice is uh, about the appropriate use of power. And there's sort of two different sides of justice, not to get too um, theoretical, but there's retributive justice and distributive justice. Retributive justice has to do with retribution, crime and punishment. And so there's a vertical sense of justice that God will uh, punish those who do evil and reward those who do good. But there's also distributive justice. And distributive justice has to do with uh, the way that those who have resource uh, treat those who don't. Those who have power, do they use that power for their own advantage or for others? And throughout the Old Testament, the prophets railed against the nation of Israel for the way they ought to treat the poor, the marginalized, the outsider, the foreigner, the widow. You know, we all sort of get fairness. Uh, I had four brothers in my household. And uh, if there were two of us who wanted one last uh, Dessert, you know, one piece of pie and two people wanted it. My parents had a great, fair way to do it. Uh, anybody have a guess for how they might have done it? Yeah, Ruth. Exactly right. There you go. There's a mom for you. You cut, I choose. So if I, and I'll tell you what, you will get a just result when, when you do that. The one who's cutting all of a sudden becomes a geometry genius. You know, it's like, <laughs> studying this piece of pie from every angle, trying to cut it exactly in the middle. Or better yet, if you could create an optical illusion where one size looked bigger, but the other actually was bigger, then you were a real genius. But you cut, we, we get fairness. The reality is that, that God designed a life for there to be justice. For those of us who have resource, power, influence, money, which all of us do, do we use that for our own selfish gain? Or do we spend it on behalf of others? And the reality is that there are, um, there's enough food produced in the world for every single person on the face of the planet to have 2,000 calories a day. And yet thousands die of hunger. And others of us struggle to stop it at 2,000 calories. It's not just. It's not the way God designed the world to work. For the gospel to be the whole gospel, it must be both vertical and horizontal, and we can't allow ourselves to fall in to the false choice. A big challenge in our day-to-day is human trafficking. You know, if there's a, uh, a young girl who is being trafficked in the sex trade, and somebody goes to her and says, hey, uh, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. And if you would confess your sins to him, he'll forgive you and you can go to heaven when you die. That isn't the whole gospel. Now, if you go and rescue that young girl from from the sex trade and free her from that oppression, but don't let her know why you did it, that you don't let her know that you did it because she's created in the image and likeness of a holy God and that she has great value and worth and dignity and that there will one day be a day when 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 God will ultimately wipe every tear from her eyes then you haven't shared with her the whole gospel. 
The gospel is both horizontal and vertical. So today's Palm Sunday. And uh, as Jesus approached Jerusalem, he saw this. He saw a mess. He got to the, to the top of the Mount of Olives and he looked down on the city and he saw injustice. He saw people who had defined righteousness simply as compliance to the law, but not at the heart of the matter of truly loving God and truly loving others. He saw uh, people who had used their power and their influence for their own selfish gain rather than for the sake of others. And it had an impact on him emotionally. Listen to Luke 19. It says, when he came to the, came near the place where the road goes down to the Mount of Olives, uh, down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for the miracles they'd seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven, glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they kept quiet, the stones will cry out. As he approached Jerusalem, he saw the city, he wept over it, and said, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. There's two different times in the Scripture when... Uh, the scripture talks about Jesus weeping. One you might remember is at the um, death of his friend Lazarus, and then this is the other one. But they're two different Greek words. The Greek word in the, uh, at the death of Lazarus could also be translated that Jesus shed a tear. This Greek word could also be translated that Jesus sobbed. When Jesus saw the brokenness of the the city of Jerusalem, the place. Here is the day to which the the Hebrew people had looked for and longed. The Messiah had come. The Messiah had arrived. And here he was. And yet what he saw was a mess. He saw brokenness. And they didn't have eyes to see that indeed the Messiah was there. And it broke his heart. And he wept. He sobbed. He sobbed. That if only you had known that this day would bring you peace, shalom, nothing missing, nothing broken. This is the day that was to restore all things. Now, I want to juxtapose this uh, deep emotional anguish that Jesus is facing with another emotion that was happening exactly the same time in him. The writer of Hebrews says this, that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who's endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. So here in the humanity of Jesus and in his divinity, we see two profound emotions present at precisely the same time. Deep sadness at the brokenness that's present that he would sob. And yet joy that his death on the cross and his resurrection, that ultimately God was going to make all things new. Jesus was in the middle of some unfinished business, and he had hope. Now, in the midst of that unfinished business, he didn't gloss over the brokenness that existed. He actually entered into the pain and became broken over it. 
But he didn't get lost in that pain. He still had hope to know that there would be a day when God would indeed make all things new. Sometimes we can uh, try to gloss over the pain and, and say, that's all right because you know God's going to deliver us from this and we're going to have heaven someday so we don't have to worry about all this mess. Or we can get so uh, wrapped up in the mess that we can forget that this world is temporary and there will one day be a day when all things are made, are made new. And what God wants for us, I believe, is to enter into that same uh, emotional juxtaposition that Jesus did, where we, we're willing to enter into the pain of this world and the hope of the one that awaits us and to truly walk with people who are in great difficulty and yet be ones who offer hope Because the reality of what Jesus did on the cross is this. Paul wrote it this way, Colossians 1. For God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in him, in Jesus, and through him to reconcile to himself, what? Reconcile to himself, what? Reconcile what? All things. To reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. You know, the reality is this. Christ's death reconciled all things to himself. And yet often what we experience is still this mess. We live in this world where Christ's death has reconciled all things. He is reconciling all things. And one day he will reconcile all things. And all three are true at the same time. You know, here's an interesting thing about the cards. You know, the, uh, these cards, you know, I can, uh, cards can tend to look at themselves and they say, well, uh, you know, I'm a six of diamonds and you're a jack of clubs and so we have, we have nothing to do with each other. I mean, I'm a six and you're a jack or, uh, I'm red or you're black or I'm more powerful and, and you're less powerful. And we can look at these and and see our difference and see how we're divided. But the reality is this. It isn't the front of the card that declares what deck the card belongs to. It's what's underneath. And so this uh, this card here, this card uh, could be that young girl who was um, trapped in the sex trade. But she belongs to Jesus. Or this card could be um, uh, the same-sex couple who lives down the street. And uh, they too belong to Jesus. And these are your Jewish friends. And although they might not know it, they belong to Jesus. And uh, this is the place where you work. might not feel like it when you go in on Monday morning. But it belongs to Jesus. He has reconciled all things to himself. This is your family. And it might be hard. Your family belongs to Jesus. This is you. You belong to Jesus. It isn't what's on the outside that declares who we truly are, or what really defines us. What truly defines us 
is that we were made in God's image and redeemed by Christ's death on the cross. And he's reconciled all things to himself, all things on earth and in heaven. And that there will come a day, one day, when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that indeed Jesus is Lord. So what's our hope in the midst of unfinished business? To continue to bring oneness where there's brokenness, wholeness where there's deficit, fullness where there's loss. To bring the oneness of Jesus. You go to your family. How can I be an agent of oneness at work? How can I be an agent of oneness here at work? My neighborhood. To bring oneness, wholeness, and fullness. To bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. As the worship team comes back for a final uh, declaration of our worship, let me pray for us. Lord, I pray that your spirit, even now, would um, show us where there are places in our life where you would like us to be ambassadors of your oneness, your wholeness, your fullness. Lord, maybe there are some among us who, if we're honest, we've been horizontal Christians, and we haven't um, cared as deeply about our personal relationship with you as you would like. Maybe you're calling us to a deeper walk with you. Or others of us for whom maybe the gospel has been too vertical and not horizontal. Lord, how do you want us to be agents of your goodness and grace the lives of those around us or in places where there's injustice. Lord, I pray for this beautiful church at this uh, marking of 10 years of your faithfulness. Lord, that this church would be continue to be a beacon of oneness, wholeness, and fullness to this community. Lord, that it would indeed continue to live up to its name, offering a new hope, your new hope for this world and the next. In Jesus' name, amen.